Next week is our Bapticue. And uh, you say, what's a Bapticue? Well, by now you've heard that term. It's where we have a church baptism and a barbecue, and we put them together, and you get a Bapticue. So here's the deal. Next week we'll start here at 10 o'clock. I have a short teaching that I'm going to talk about the two ordinances that Jesus gave the church, communion and water baptism. Uh, we won't baptize here, but we will take communion. And uh, then you'll have a chance to run home if you want um, to get ready for the Bapticue. It's uh, our pastors of enthusiasm. <laughs> pastors of enthusiasm, Chris and B.B. Jackson are going to host this at their home. If you know Pastor Chris, you know I need him. I'm the pastor of experience. He's the pastor of enthusiasm. He, he brings what I lack, but hey, when he's my age, we'll see how he does, right? Anyway, uh, they're hosting it. So if, if you're going to attend, or you think you might attend, uh, there's a sheet back over there, and it just say your name and how many are coming, because we'd like to get an idea of what we need to prep for. If you're, we're we're providing the the main barbecue items, us, the church, and so you don't need to do that. But there's a, a sign up sheet if you want to bring a side, and you'll see the list there. You can do whatever with that. If you'd like to be baptized, if you'd like to be baptized, we would love to do that. I've never lost one yet. So you say, well, why be baptized? Uh, well, here's why. I'm going to give you just a two-minute tidbit here. Uh, we're following Jesus' example. Jesus was baptized. And when he went to be baptized, the one baptizing him, John the Baptist, said, shouldn't it reverse? No, no, I need to do this. And then he told us in Matthew 28 that, that we're to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is baptism significant? Well, first of all, it's not necessary to go to heaven. How do I know that? Because the thief on the cross was next to Jesus, and he was dying. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. They didn't say, I'm sorry, you, you gotta, we gotta get, you're not going to make it because you can't be water baptized. All right? So there's grace there. But what's the significance? Well, it's a public declaration that we're a follower of Christ. But it also talks about the fact that you, you remember Jesus was on the cross, and he died. And when he died, he crucified the old man, the sin nature. So not only did he pay for sin, he, he killed the nature, if you will. He was buried, and then three days later, he was resurrected to new life. And so when we are engaged in water baptism, when we participate in water baptism, it's that same symbolism that, that we're making a public declaration that I'm following Jesus but I believe something supernatural happens to us that when we go into the waters of baptism, if you will, it, it's like we're following Jesus. When my old man is, is dead, I choose to follow my new man and be raised to life. Now, does that mean after that we're going to be perfect? No, then we probably ought to baptize every week. Um, you might say, I've already been baptized. Should I be baptized again? Well, if your baptism signified you became a follower of Jesus and you began to change life and united with his family, you're fine. But maybe you did it because it was a church tradition. Or some of you maybe aren't aware that I spent a short season of time. I'm a classical Pentecostal. I grew up in this denomination. But for a short season of time, I was a Methodist pastor. 
and their tradition sprinkled infants. I've had many people over the years that say I was baptized as a baby. Can I be baptized because now I understand it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can say I was baptized as a teenager, you know, and I had about 20 years there. Be baptized. You say, but, but pastor, I don't sure you can get me out of the water. That's why I have the pastor of enthusiasm, Pastor Chris, there with me, the bodybuilder, if you... If you yeah, he's also the pastor of lifting. I'll, I'll be on the front. He could be on. Anyway, that's funny right there. Um, I don't know if you appreciate my humor, but it was funny. Um, can a child be baptized? Generally, I'm going to say we'll baptize anyone over the age of seven. That's not a rule. If a five-year-old comes to me and says, you know, I, I love Jesus, and, and I had an experience where he changed my life, jump on in. Now you'll say, well, I'm not sure about this. What happens if I show up next week and, and then I make them a fine? Go home, get some, get a suit, and we'd love to have you. All right? So sign up sheets for all of those things. Please stop by over there. We, we, you know, I don't want to have four hot dogs and we have 40 people. So let us know you're coming. Let us know what you're willing to bring. Uh, also, those of you that are online, I can't baptize you online. Sorry. Uh, but if you're interested in coming, if you'll just email us, info at the rivers.org, say we're coming next week. We'd be delighted to have you. Let us know. Uh, that would be fantastic. As always, I remind you to be faithful in your giving. Give as God has blessed and prospered you. If you wonder why we give, go back and listen to my teaching last week. It was a stem winder. <laughs> If you're here in the house, we have the basket up in front. So how are you all doing? Everybody doing okay. That's good. Now we can see if we can get the inspired notes. Uh, the last two weeks, we're in a nine-week. Actually, I'm, I'm going to wrap this series up next week, Life Changers, because water baptism is a life changer. Uh, but uh, Pastor Chris and I have shared over these last nine weeks things that we've learned in our life that changed our life. I started off with the perfect will of God way back when. Uh, I, I first heard that teaching and came to understand it when I was 17. I can repeat the sermon as I heard it that was delivered by my mentor, G. Lee Thomas. I can use the illustration. I can tell you what boots he was wearing. And when he did this outside the, the pulpit, we used to have these big boxes you stood behind. I can, I can remember all of that. It changed my life. It's like, okay, I don't have to wonder. I can make decisions because I'm walking in the perfect will of God. But of these nine, <coughs> generational transference I talked about two weeks ago, what I shared last week and what I share today are the most personal that I will probably ever be with you in my season of pastoring. This is personal to me. And so, please receive it as such. If you're first time here and you say, this guy has too much self, whatever, I don't do this every week, okay? But, but I want to share with you something that transformed my life through an experience that was painful. But when I learned, learned this truth, it transformed my life. So we're going to talk about sowing and reaping. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? 
sowing and reaping. How many think I'm going to preach about money today? Please don't put your hand up, because I'm not. Uh, that was last week. I want to talk about sowing and reaping. So number one, got your notes? We're ready to go. We need to, first of all, acknowledge God as the source of seed and harvest. Acknowledge God as the source of seed and harvest. Sometimes, friends, we can become so self-reliant that we think, oh, I'll just work harder and I'll produce. I'll just work harder and I'll make this happen. Oh, I'll just engage in this business deal and I'll make it happen. Oh, if I put in more time, that will make this work out. Well, we need to understand that God is the source of seed and harvest. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Do you see what's happening here? You have to have, you start with seed, but you can't make seed. You cannot make seed. You have to start with seed. You'll say, well, what is my seed? It might be your gifts and talents. Your seed might be your time. Your seed might be what you invest in a relationship. All of those things can be seed. Can, can finances be seed? Absolutely. All of those things can be seed. But you need to recognize that God is the one who provides seed. And he is the one that makes a seed multiply. We have a number of members in our extended family that are farmers. And our son-in-law, uh, his dad farms, what, about a a thousand acres or more in, in Nebraska. And I can't remember what he alternates, but I think it's soybean and corn uh, alternate seasons. And I've been with him there in planting season, and he gets on this huge tractor. I, I grew up in Iowa as a kid, and I remember we could do four rows. I had the four hoppers on the plant. His does 32. And the arm goes down on this side, and the arm goes down on this side, and we go tearing down this thing. And of course, we're in an air-conditioned deal and there's this computer screen in front of us and it tells us if all 32 rows are are uh, planting or oh that we've got one here that's got that's jammed up so we raise it up we go out and get whatever's out of it it, it tells you all of that it's an it's an amazing thing and uh, so Russ does that Russ Russ plants 32 rows at a time and and he has a full-time job he just does this for fun on the side and he plants a thousand acres. He plants a thousand acres. But guess what he does after that? He waits. Because he can't make his seed grow. Now he's in an area where you have to pray for it to grow. You say, what does that mean? Well, they don't irrigate. So they, when you see the Midwest storms in June, July, and August, they say, oh, poor them. They're all going, thank God. Here in California, you know, we don't trust the rain, so we irrigate. We have canals all over the state, right? So God is the source of seed, and he's the one that makes seed increase and ensures us a harvest. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 says, uh, for us, there is one God, the Father, who is the ultimate source of all things and the goal of our lives. 
Well, when we talk about sowing and reaping, how many have ever heard it referred to as a law? The law of sowing and reaping. Sure. It will go into Genesis chapter 8. This is where this law begins. In Genesis 8, you remember the guy Noah? Noah heard from God. said, build a boat, it's going to rain. What's rain? It had never rained before. Can you imagine that? And it takes you about 100 years to build a boat. What's a boat? What's rain? I mean, there's a whole lot of things that this guy did to demonstrate faith. And you know the story. The earth was flooded the whole bit. But in Genesis 8, it says, Noah built an ark to the Lord, and then he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never destroy all living things. Here comes the law. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night. It's a law. As long as the earth exists, as we understand it, there will be planting or seed time and there will be harvest. Number two, we need to respect the law of the harvest. We need to respect the law of the harvest, which states a couple of things. The first one it, it tells us is you reap what you sow. How many of you have ever heard of teenagers and you, I sowed my wild oats and then you wondered why you didn't get wheat? <laughs> you reap what you sow. Things reproduce after their kind. I, I mean, I'm sorry this is so simple, but, but sometimes we do things and we wonder, well, how come the outcome isn't what I want it to be? Well, look what you put in the ground. Yes? You reap what you sow. How many think that you, you said this was going to be encouraging, Mark, <laughs> and you're not encouraged so far? You reap what you sow, maybe because you, you know what you sowed. Galatians 6 says, don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. I need time. You guys know that I pastor a church, and I'm delighted. This is a, the joy of my life to pastor our church family. I love it. But you also know that I work for Caltrans, and I lead a team at Caltrans, so I, I don't walk in, and I'm not a clock hitter. The other night, 8.30. When do I prepare sermons? At 4 in the morning. So guess what I need? I need two things, time and energy. So I plant time. You say, how do I do it? I give time to things that have value. I don't keep them for myself. Why do I plant time? Why do I donate time, if you will, to things? Because I need it. Does that make sense? I would be kind of crazy to think, Okay, Lord, I need you to give me some time, but, you know, you, you asked me to go do this and this for you, but I, I don't have time for that. I would not be very wise to expect a harvest of something that I'm not willing to plant. Absolutely. You respect the law of the harvest as you reap what you sow. 
Those who live only to satisfy their own nature will harvest decay, death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everything from the life of the Spirit. So, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. A verse that you know this was coming, so I'll just throw it in here. Luke chapter 6. Do not judge others. You'll not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Okay, what's that? That's sowing and reaping, right? Uh, forgive others, and you'll be forgiven. That's sowing and reaping. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you fully pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You understand, that is, a, that is a harvest verse because the, the garment that would be worn would be something that would be worn over me, and there'd be this big piece down here that I could grab both corners and you could dump grain in and I could carry it. And so if you're going to get the most in, you'd shake it so it'd all get compacted really nice. And that's why when it says they'll pour it to your lap, well, where does that thing kind of end up when you're holding it? It ends up right there. You reap what you sow. Proverbs 20, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. You reap what you sow. If you don't sow anything, you shouldn't expect to reap anything. Here's the second truth I want you to get about the law of sowing and reaping. You reap what others sow. You reap what others sow. You've all heard my story. I'm a pastor's kid. Sat right here, Greg. My mom played the piano right here. She also led songs from the piano because my dad couldn't carry a tune. He sang one solo once in his 35 years of ministry, and it was on his last Sunday at a church in Iowa. They, people came up and said, Pastor, why didn't you sing more often? He said, I've been practicing this one since we got here. <laughs> and it was true. So mom could sing, play the piano, and snap her fingers at me sitting right there, Greg. That's where I had to sit. And one snap meant, that's a warning. Two meant we were going to meet Mr. Spoon later that day. I'm grateful that I grew up in a pastor's home. I got to travel the world and travel the United States. And every February, I got to leave Iowa or Minnesota and go to Southern California for our pastor's conference, which was always in L.A. And my aunt always felt bad, so she would skip the conference and say, I'm going to take. And we went to Seal Beach, and we went to Disneyland, and we went to Knott's Berry Farm and had the chicken dinner more than once. And I'd come back, and everybody said, man, it snowed the whole time you were gone. What happened to you? Oh, I was at the beach. People say, oh, it's so sad that I had to be a preacher's kid. It was the best thing ever. I was reaping what my parents sowed into my life. I am grateful. But if you know the rest of the story, you know my birth parents left me at the hospital. That's the rest of the story. So guess what they sowed into my life? 
Rejection and abandonment. And guess what I reaped? Rejection and abandonment. And I was 35 or maybe 40 years old when Jill and I were in a divorce prevention class. And, and uh, the, for three, week, three weeks, the Tuesday nights, he kept talking about integrity, integrity. I'd act in integrity because you reap what you sow. And then he said, sometimes you reap what others sow in your life. And I suddenly realized why I held my wife at arm's distance. She had the curse of being a woman. Like my mother, who had rejected me and who had abandoned me. And I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to be hurt. And then, you know, that happens to you. And then you have little events along the way that just add to it. And what are they? What are all those events? They just compound the lie that you believe that something's wrong with you. That was sowed in me. You say, how did they do it? They left me. Yeah, but you had great parents. I did. And I was reaping what they sowed in my life, but I also was reaping something that people I've never met sowed into my life. Go back and ask her. She can tell you the stories. There's days I still struggle with it. There's days I still hold her at a distance. She said something to me one time that was so painful, yet so true. She said, I learned more from you, and when you preach, you're willing to share more of yourself with our church than you are with me. Ow. Why is that? Some of us have been hurt in relationships. And because we've been hurt, we hurt. And then we hurt. Listen to what I just said there. Because we've been hurt, we hurt. That's we feel. And because we feel hurt, guess what we do? We hurt. You reap what others sow. You'll say, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. In Matthew chapter 13, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. That's me. I had good seed put in my life, but I had bad seed put in my life. That sounds kind of disheartening, doesn't it? Well, there's a good, good news at the end of the story. Remind me to come back to it. Number three, seed produces after its kind. Seed produces after its kind. Good seed produces abundant harvest. Good seed produces abundant harvest. Hosea put it in the spiritual realm in, in chapter 10 when he said, Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you'll harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Hard ground. It was hard for me to look into my life and say, where did that come from? Why am I holding people at a distance? Why am I afraid to be who I am? 
I almost need to apologize to the church I pastored the first 10 years of my ministry, bless their hearts. I was so insecure and so desperate, and I put up a wonderful thing. I, I remember Sister Meyer, she sat right there. And one Sunday morning I preached, and she came up and she said, Pastor, and she always kissed me on the cheek and always left a big lipstick mark. And I loved it because it was neat to have Sister Myers love me as a young pastor. That was cool. And she said, I know what you said was good today, but I don't understand anything you said. I had a vocabulary of big words. I know you find it hard to believe now that you hear me speak, but I did. I, I, I sounded very intelligent. And then I have somebody on the second row in her 80s that says, I have no clue what you were talking about. It was an image. He must be good if he's using big words. Hello? There was some hard ground that I needed to turn up and, and allow righteousness to be planted there so I could, could reap a harvest of love. James says it this way, the wisdom from above is pure, it's peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, it's always sincere. But listen, but those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So here's the other good news, God multiplies good seed. It's not a one-to-one -one relationship. God multiplies good seed. Isaiah said, then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You'll throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, good riddance. Then the Lord will bless you with rain at planting time. There will be wonderful harvest and plenty of pasture land for your livestock. The oxen and the donkeys that till the ground will eat good grain, its chaff blown away by the wind. God multiplies good seed. When you plant the right things, he multiplies good seed. Here's another great truth. You reap more than you sow. You reap more than you sow. Genesis 26, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. Here's another truth. You can't change last year's harvest. I hope you're spiritualizing this. You can't change last year. You can say, oh, I wish I, I wish I, I wish I. Well, don't, I wish I. Do something different now. Because you're planting seed now for your future. You can't change last year's harvest. Paul said it this way, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Here's another truth. This is painful. Bad seed produces bad harvest. James talks about some bad seed. He said, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil. So what's the seed? Jealousy and selfish ambition. What's the fruit? Disorder and evil. Evil people get rich, the Proverbs wrote, for a moment, but the reward of the godly will last. 
Proverbs says, those who plant injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will come to an end. Job said it this way, my experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. The message says in Hosea 8, I, I love the way it says it, look at them. Planting wind seeds, they harvest tornadoes. Wheat with no head produces no flour. And even if it did, strangers would gulp it down. Bad seed produces bad harvest. Now, everything I said was to get to point four. Because some of you might be a little discouraged. Like I was when I was 35 and I realized... <laughs> abandonment and rejection had been planted into me and I was reaping the harvest of those things and I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know where they'd been planted. So how do we reverse the curse of bad seed? Mark, you said it's a law and a law is a law. Well, I'm going to get to that. Well, here's the first thing that you do. Please catch this. You need to confess it and repent. If you've planted bad seed, you need to confess it. Not to me, but to the Lord. Lord, I've been jealous. I repent. Remember what repent means. It means to turn, to change the direction. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go this way now. That's literally what repent means. Proverbs says it this way. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn, that's Confess and repent. They will receive mercy. How many of us need mercy? That's getting something you didn't earn. That's getting a debt paid for by someone else. Psalms 128 says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Let's get into the New Testament. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So how do we reverse the curse? Number one, we confess and we repent. Number two is we implement or appeal to a higher law. Which in the case of sowing and reaping, the higher law is the law of love. Are you saying, Pastor, that God has two laws that argue with each other? No, I'm not. I am saying that God has two laws and one supersedes the other. You'll say, well, then they wouldn't be laws. Oh, yes, they would. I'm going to give an illustration. Let's see, what can I risk? What will happen when I let go of my memory stick? It's not, it's not a trick question. What will happen? It will drop. Why? What do we call that? We, we, we call it a law of gravity, all right? And it, because it's more dense, yes, it doesn't fly. I agree with you. Yet, I get in an airplane all the time. 
And I never think about, you know, gravity's a law, and I'm in something that shouldn't get off the ground. I don't even think about it. I get in. I don't watch the little thing up there about, you know, buckle your seatbelt. I know that was neat in the 60s when our cars didn't have them, but I kind of get it. And I know where the emergency exit is because it's the row in front of me. And, yes, I know you have bathrooms, and I know because I'm cheap, I have to go to the ones in the back. Huh? And I know that you're going to give me a snack about that big, but for a fee, you'll let me become inebriated so I overcome my fear of the law of gravity. Why do I get on a plane and not worry? Because there's, there's another law. It's the law of aerodynamics, which says that if a wing is designed in such a way, and I'm going to simplify this, so that the air traveling over the top of the wing at high speed, because the distance is farther, it spreads out, and the air underneath remains compact, if you will, so there's more molecules pushing on the wing up than there are on the ones down, and it all works because I'm traveling at a speed, which is why we have a runway. And as long as we maintain that, and as long as the air going over the top has a farther distance to travel to meet up with its buddies than the ones that took the shortcut underneath, there'll always be lift. That's why when you look at a plane, you look at the wing, it's really not straight out. It's doing this, right? It's a law. It's a higher law. But the minute they slow that plane down, guess what happens? Gravity starts winning. Now, they do it in a controlled way, so they transfer law, if you will, and most times we land. Except in Reno, every time I've come in there, it's always on one wheel on the left because of the, the wind coming off the, the mountains, I guess. I've had a couple of rides where people met Jesus. But in general, it's a, it's a seamless thing. Okay, now I don't want anybody coming up to me and saying, you know, actually the law of, I understand what the law of aerodynamics is, and it's much greater than I can explain it. But I do know why a plane flies. I do know why the law of love supersedes the law of sowing and reaping. Here's how it works. We set in divorce prevention. It hit me without Jill elbowing me. Wow, I've had these things sown in my life. And as a result, I'm sowing things in her life, and I'm sowing things into our relationship. Rejection, abandonment, keeping people at a distance. I need to take care of that. And I could take you to the place, and I could show you the row if they still have the seats there at a church in Lodi where I stood in a dark auditorium on a late Tuesday night and said, Lord, you know where mom and dad are. And you know why they did what they did. And maybe it was the only choice they had. I just always assumed that I was one of those uh, backseat conceptions, you know. And uh, mom got sent to grandma's for a year for school and then came back. I learned to be grateful that I wasn't aborted. And then my good friend and colleague that I've worked with for 40 plus years, he too was adopted and he found out later on that 
we loved you, but you were our 13th, and we just knew we couldn't take care of you. So I decided to change the view. Maybe I was just at the end of a long line, and they ran out of money. It didn't matter. I stood there, and I said to the ceiling, which I was talking to God, Lord, you know where they are, and you know why they did what they did. Let them know I forgive them because I don't want them to be held under guilt either. You know what I was doing? The law of love, as is applied in this area, is seen in forgiveness. It is seen in forgiveness. It's understanding that God has forgiven me and that I can forgive others. You say, but but Mark, you don't know what that person did to me. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know why my parents abandoned me. I don't know why they gave birth to me in, in Kansas City General and left me there. I don't know. That's pretty bad. Leaving your child, that's pretty bad. But I was appealing to a higher law. I was sick of rejection and abandonment being sown into my life. I am so lucky that in 1980, I met that lady. And I am so fortunate that she said yes. And you know, we marry to our deepest need and uh, subconsciously, and, and she... <laughs> If you noticed, who greeted you today? Not Mark. I'm not good with people. She does. She, she's good at that. But I nearly pushed her away to protect myself from greater pain. Do you hear what I'm saying? This can be at work in your family. This can be at work in your marriage. This can be at work in your work relationship. It can be at work in your finances. It can be at work everywhere. You've sown things and you're reaping them. How do you take care of it? You confess and repent. And if it involves someone else planting seed in your life, you forgive. Now you say, but, but you don't understand and I'm going to be very specific. You Maybe you've been in a marriage relationship where there was abuse. Forgiveness doesn't mean you go back in and get abused. Please don't take that. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness frees you to live your life under God's provision of grace. Forgiveness frees you from the bad seed that was sown in your life. Do you think God can take care of the person who put the bad seed? Absolutely. And you're letting the harvest be in the hands of God, not in your hands. Implement the higher law, the law of love, as expressed through forgiveness. The law of love overcomes the law of sowing and reaping, just like aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. 
Love is fulfillment of the law, Romans 13 says. Recognize that we overcome any spirit with an opposite spirit. That was good. Write it down. It's not in your notes. We overcome any spirit with the opposite spirit. Where there's hate, how do you overcome hate? By hating more? By love. Romans 12 says, never let evil get the best of you. Instead, overpower evil with good. Psalms 107 says, he turns fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts, here's the good news, into pools of water, the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crop. How he blesses them. They raise large families there, and their herds of livestock increase. I had the joy yesterday of reaping something that was sown in that decision that I made 30 years ago now. Our only granddaughter wanted to stay over. And Jill said, are you going over to, to do something at the kid's house? And I said, no. I said, because we're going on a bike ride, and I don't want Brinkley to be disappointed. And so we all went down the river trail. She thought she was a great rider and in great shape. And when the old people led the way home on that eight-mile ride, I, I wanted her to have that experience. But I also wanted to have that experience. Because whether I paint that shed or not really isn't going to matter. But what she remembers is going to matter. And then later in the day, guess what we reaped? Three hours in the pool with the whole gang. They'll say, how is that reaping what you sow? Well, you know what? Abandonment and rejection was sown in my life. I am not going to put that in my grandkids because that's been broken in me. So I threw the football when they would run into, oh, Poppy, that was too low. It was too high. It hit me in the stomach. It hit me in the hands. You know, what am I supposed to do? Like insert it into your body? I don't know how to make you catch it. You know what I'm talking about? What a precious day. Did I get anything done on a project list? No. Did I change the headlights out on my truck? No. They can do tomorrow. I reap something that was different than what was sowed in my life. Let's close. What are our conclusions? Number one, believe God will increase your good seed into a bountiful harvest. Believe God will increase your good seed. Psalms 85 says, The Lord will give you what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. 2 Corinthians 9 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Galatians says, don't become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. But you'll say, there was bad things sown in me, or I sowed bad seed. Well, then confess and repent it, not to me, but to the Lord. 
And the last thing you need to do is forgive those who planted bad seed in your life. Appeal to the higher law, the law of love, which supersedes the law of sowing and reaping. I don't know how to say this any other way than the way I did today. And I hope that you hear my heart. This isn't a story about Mark. I share this story and I share it on a personal level because I want you to experience the joy and fulfillment you can have when you're walking in the blessing and the provision and grace of God. That every need is met, that every, every harvest is bountiful, and every seed that you sow is good seed. And I want you to be free from the seed that was planted in your life say, but I'm, I'm, I'm too old now for, for that. I can't change it. Yes, you can. I wish what I learned at 35, I would have known at 17. My dad was my best friend. Now, you understand where I grew up? He was my only friend because nobody lived out where we lived. I'm going to go play baseball. Who would I go play with? My dad. There was no kids. And when he got sick and died when I was 17, Guess what that sent a message? People you love abandon you and they reject you. You know, death sends a message of rejection. It's not intended. My dad didn't mean to do that. But what did it do? It compounded the message that had already been in my heart. These things happen to us. Seed has been sown into our life. And the enemy comes and whispers about it and says... You're not worth it. You're not any good. You're getting what you deserve. That's where the spirit of poverty comes. That's where, you know, my relationships aren't going to last. This is where you start hearing messages. My kids are never going to be what they're supposed to be. All of those things come from this kind of a situation. Well, what do you do? If you planted the seeds, confess and repent and say, Jesus, I appeal to the higher law, the law of love, which is forgiveness. I need you to forgive me. And if those seeds were planted by the adversary through other people, forgive those people just like Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And appeal to the higher law, the law of love. Is this okay? So, Father, this morning we thank you for this truth. That there is a law, a law of sowing and reaping. It's the first law you established. It's the first law. It's in Genesis 8. First law you ever said. As long as time exists, there'll be seed time and harvest. But you also gave us the higher law, the law of love, which you demonstrated through your son Jesus who came to die on the cross that we might have forgiveness and that the law would be superseded by the law of your love for us. And Lord, I pray today for those in this room and watching online, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to forgive others that have sown seed, whether it's seed of discord, disharmony, rejection, fear, anger, any of those things. Father, help us to forgive them and appeal to your higher law, the law of love, so that that bad seed will no longer produce fruit in our life, but the good fruit from the seed of righteousness will be seen in us, and we'll thank you for it. Amen. 
joined us today online. Thank you for being with us. Hope you'll come out and join us uh, next week at the Bapticue. God bless you and have a great, great week. For those of you in the room, I, I want to do something a little different. I'm going to ask uh, Dan and Dale just to come up. And if you would like prayer about one of these things, maybe you just need to share a little bit about that. I, I urge you to take advantage of this time. And if if you don't, feel free to go. I would just urge you to respect those that would like prayer. If you, if you want to talk, just do so in the lobby. Is, is that okay? So until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you his peace. God bless you. Have a great, great week.